Mm. So good. And simple, right? I mean, it, they're, just, they're just sugar cookies. That, that, that's all. Um, seven ingredients, right? It, it takes less than 20 minutes to make these, unless your kids are helping. <laughs> then it's a lot longer. Um, <laughs> there's, there's something really simple about these, right? They're not like the other Christmas treats that we enjoy making, you know, that, that take special ingredients or that take a lot of time. You know, you, you probably have the ingredients to make these things in your house right now. Some of you are watching at home. You're like, oh, yeah, I probably should go do that today. Uh, it, it's really simple, right? You mix the ingredients, you roll it out, you cut out the shapes, you bake them, you smear some frosting on them, and you're done, right? And, but they're, and they're so good. But what they represent is so significant. Open your Bibles to Luke 2, 8. We read the passage earlier. We're going to look at it and start there today. I uh, want to ask you to keep uh, the Holcroft family in your prayers. Our brother Fred passed away this week, so please keep uh, their family in your prayers right now. Still not totally sure about the service, and it may be just family only, but we'll, we'll send out an email notification just to let you know about that. Also, Another encouragement to, uh, to continue to watch your email, there's a chance that this week we're going to have to uh, close the office to the public, uh, at least. It's kind of a perfect storm right now between some members on staff who aren't feeling well, others who feel fine, but we're at a place where someone who was, you know, sick was there, and like we're waiting for test results to come back, and it's just kind of one of those situations where we just don't quite have enough to to staff the office this week, maybe. We'll, we'll find out for sure like by Tuesday. So if, if that happens, we'll let you know. If, if it is close to the public, the staff will still be working either like remotely from home or here, but just, you know, the doors will be locked. We'll, we'll let you know, okay? Um, before we go any further, I just again want to thank everyone who's here in the room. Thank you for those of you watching online. If you haven't yet, take a second, fill out your connection card. Let us know. Uh, for you watching at home, that's also really important. It's a, it's a great way as in this disconnected time for us to, to stay in touch with you. And um, a couple things I want to highlight as you're doing that, okay? Uh, first of all, today is the last day to sign up to be part of Life in Rhythm. How many of you were part of Rooted before when we've been in Rooted? Awesome. Life in Rhythm is the follow-up to that, okay? So same, same uh, company put out, puts out the material. Uh, it's the rhythms of Rooted, these seven rhythms applied to work and applied to family. Ten-week experience. I'm going to lead my life group through it. And, uh, and so, and by the way, for those of you who are like, I want to be part of it, but I don't know about going into someone's house, please talk to Jason, okay? And we've got some resources and, and some methodology to help you learn how to lead a fidgetal group, okay? Fidgetal is the word physical and the word digital blurred. It's not what my little boys do in church, okay? It's a fidgetal. Um, we can help you do that, all right? We, we can kind of teach you how to, so if you're interested in being part of that, uh, please contact uh, Jason, jscott at chapelrock.org and let him know and, and we'll do that. Today's the last day to sign up. You can go to chapelrock.org slash events and the link is there for you to register to be part of these um, seven rhythms. We're also going to do another round of Rooted. That's going to be primarily a digital group. So it'll only meet via like Zoom or whatever. Um, but you'll have, you have a few weeks left if you want to be part of that. Information is in your bulletin, Okay. Um, one more thing about Christmas Eve. 
we thank you guys for those of you who filled out the survey, letting us know what service you're planning on coming to. We're kind of bumping up against the edge of capacity at the 5 p.m. service. So if you signed up for the 5 and you can come to the 3, like it's, it works for your schedule, please do. Okay? We're, we're going to stream them and we're going to rebroadcast the service, not only at 3 and 5, but also at 7, at 9, and at 11. So if you, you know, and maybe you, if you especially, you may just want to have it on as ambiance Christmas Eve, I don't know, in, in your home. But um, I want to encourage you to, if you can come to the three, to please do that. We, we're trying to leave enough room in our registration uh, idea for people from the community to come in. So my family's going to come to the three o'clock. If yours can, uh, that, would be, that would be great. Last week, Jason started a new series for us called Bethlehem's Bakery. And this month, we're looking at how the sweet treats of the Christmas season point to Jesus. Last week, Jason talked about the incarnation, Jesus becoming a human being. We talked about a gingerbread man and how Jesus is the bread of life. Today, we're talking about these, these simple sugar cookies and how two of the most common uh, cookies that you're going to find, these shapes, the, the angel and the star, point to Jesus. The Lord sent two different symbols to two slightly different groups, actually very different groups, with, with, with a message that his son was entering the world. When you consider them together, though, I think that this is what Jesus is telling us today. It's our, our day's big idea, and it's this. Because God declared Jesus' humility with glory to both the lowly and the elite, we should share it with everyone. That's the big idea today. Because God declared Jesus' humility with glory to both the lowly and the elite, we should share it with everyone. So I want to look at each one of these signs in turn and see what they tell us. First of all, we have the angel. The angel is a sign to the lowly, and the message is, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Now, it's not first in our Bible. We'll read from Matthew here in a little bit. But it's chronologically first. God sends an angel to Mary. He sends an angel to Elizabeth with a message. The first sign I want to point to is the angel. In the Bible, angels are real living beings. They're supernatural. They're usually non-physical. When it fits the Lord's purpose, they are able to take on uh, a physical form temporarily, and they're most often serving as messengers. They have a message from God that they're going to tell the people. In fact, our word angel is a transliteration of the Greek word, not a translation, a transliteration is when you take one, a word in one language and you put it in another language, all right? And, and, and you, guys, you do this all the time when you order at Taco Bell right? Burrito, all right? I want, I want a burrito. So it, this is, angel is like that, all right? And it's, it's the Greek word angelos, and it means messenger. In the Old Testament, angels often served as God's agents for announcing, and nearly as often dispensing, God's judgment. The New Testament tells us that angels will accompany Jesus when he returns, they are Christ's special envoys to gather his elect from the four corners of the world. One you know, angel to each part of the world. And, and basically angels are supernatural beings who are closely associated with the work of God himself. 
Angels are, are God's agents to do his work in the world. And throughout the Bible, they're deeply involved in proclaiming God's decisive action. And in no place is that more significant than in the birth of Jesus. An unnamed angel from the Lord announces his miraculous birth to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Gabriel, the angel, God's messenger angel, explains the wonderful news to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And an angel of the Lord, accompanied by a multitude of the heavenly host, um, proclaims the event to a group of shepherds in Luke 2. Look at that with me. We read it earlier, but let's look at it again. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. By the way, that's the most common reaction to a, the presence of an angel in the Bible. <laughs> Fear. Which is why the, number, the first thing most angels say is, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths. That's not a sign. That's normal. Everybody did that to every kid back then. And lying in a manger. Whoa. This is, that's not where, this is the point where you insert the sound of the record scratching. Right? What? You know? So the sign is both. It's not just a baby wrapped in cloths. That's normal. It's a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. That's the sign. Suddenly, a, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said, let's, said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Here, here's... What I need you to see this morning. I mean, if you follow Jesus for a while, it's tough to get past the familiarity of this passage, right? How many of you are hearing this for the very first time? Anybody brave enough to raise your hand? Okay, I didn't think so, right? We've heard this before. We, we, we know this story, especially at Christmas time. Here's something that you may not have noticed. It was, it was I guess, it wasn't necessarily new to me this year, but it kind of stood out to me this year. God sends the most glorious servants he has, the heavenly host, the angels, glory. I mean, that's the first thing. It says that the angel appeared, what happens? Glory. God sends the most glorious servants he has to the lowliest people imaginable. Think about the difference there. <laughs> There's this massive offset between the nature of the sign host of heaven all the angels in their glory and the the people who received them the shepherds see shepherds had no status in their culture right they were uneducated they smelled bad because of their job they were considered low class that's who got an angelic announcement of christmas during jesus time being a shepherd was absolutely a dead-end job you weren't going anywhere. If, if you are a shepherd at 15, you have peaked. That's it. That's the best it's ever going to be, right? These were people that, that were considered outcasts and misfits. They had a hard, 
thankless, dangerous job. And as much as their agrarian culture depended on them, they were not considered very important. As far as spiritual matters go, shepherds were considered unclean. They couldn't participate in Jewish feasts and holy days. In, in regard to societal matters, shepherds were infamous for thievery. They had a bad reputation. <laughs> shepherds were not allowed to be witnesses in a court of law because no one would believe what they said. That's who God announces this to. Literally, the bottom rung of society. Here's why that matters. The fact that God sent them the sign, I believe, is part of the message. It's part of the message. God sending the sign to them is part of the message. The angels have good news that will cause great joy. Why? Because people on the bottom rung of the ladder need good news every now and then. And maybe the rest of us do too. Earlier this year at the beginning of the pandemic, the Washington Post reported a story about James Charles, a Charlotte, North Carolina resident who runs a car lot with his family. They knew that many people, there, there they are, there's the, the Charles family right there. They, they knew that a lot of people in Charlotte were homeless and were living in their cars. And they knew that because four years ago, they were living in their car. And so, so through God's providence, James got, and his family got their, got their lives kind of back in order and back on track. And God provided again, and they were able with other family members to start a used car lot. And they, were, they became aware that more and more people were sleeping in their cars, and it's very dangerous, and it's, it's not safe to do that. And here, I will tell you, church at Chapel Rock, one night I was leaving the office, and someone pulled in, and you know, just kind of one of those, they came in off Girls School Road, and I was walking out from the office door here, and we just kind of met. And they asked me, they said, hey, um, we're, we're traveling, we're going to sleep in our car tonight, is it okay if we do that in your lot? Yeah, just be sure you're under the light so that you're as safe as you can. People, park near the light so you can be seen. Don't be off there by the trees at the other end of the lot. It happens all the time. And, and they knew about this. And so they invite people who are living in their cars to come to their parking lot. And there's, you know, video surveillance and security and there's lights. And he says, you can sleep here as long as you need at night for free. And, and then he took it even a step further. What he did is he started a GoFundMe account. And every single car that they sell, he makes a contribution, and he asked the person buying it to make a contribution to this GoFundMe account to raise money for first and last month's rent for the people who are sleeping in their lot so that they can get back on their feet. Sounds like good news of great joy, doesn't it? I mean, I've never seen an angel... I don't know what they look like, but I bet to the people in Charlotte, North Carolina, an angel looks a whole lot like James Charles and his family. The fact that God first told the lowly is a reminder to all of us to be encouraged at Christmas time. That in sending Jesus, God is sending a message that he is going to put the world right again. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that this year. 
That in Jesus, God Almighty has come to us from outside creation and entered into it to send good news that causes great joy to people with no hope in this world. See, every time you eat one of these cookies, (laughs) it's a reminder that in Jesus, God is going to put the world right again. No ruler, no recession, no pandemic, no circumstance can change that. That's good news. But it's not the only sign. Turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Turn to Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. You see, we also have the sign of the star. You got one of these cookies. (laughs) You have the, the, the star of Christmas. And this is a sign not to the lowly, but to the elite. The star is a sign to the elite, and the message is, be generous. Be generous. To the lowly, he says, be encouraged. To the elite, he says, be generous. God sent another star. Perhaps at the same time, he sent the first one, though chronologically a fair bit of time elapses between when it appears and when it factors in the story. Look with me at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the first couple verses and then skip down to verse 9. Look at this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now skip down to verse 9. After they talked to King Herod, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route." This star, or whatever it was, was a sign to the elite. In this passage, we have the Magi and King Herod. It doesn't get much more elite than a king. And the Magi were very near the pinnacle of their culture. I want to help you. By the way, if you've got an older translation, it might say wise men. Okay, Again, Magi is a transliteration. It's the, the Greek word there is magi, all right? So I want to help you understand who these guys were. The, the best way I have to, to um, kind of describe them is if you could combine Elon Musk, the head of Tesla, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist, and maybe Bill, so somebody like Bill Gates, who's into science and technology and has a lot of money. That's these guys. That's who they are. And very near the pinnacle of their society. When, when those guys talk, when they tweet, people pay attention, right? That was the Magi. That, that's who these men are. And we don't know exactly how many of them there were. People assume there were three because there were three gifts. We don't know, you know. We, we, and we really don't even know. We don't know their names. We don't know their place of origin. We have traditions, but we don't know for sure. We know they're from the East, which means it's likely that they were part of the Parthian Empire. The Parthian Empire was in modern-day Iran and Iraq, okay? Um, and, and it was, there you go, there's, there's a map you can see. And way on the far left, you see the word, the, the 
other part of the word empire. So that's like the, the Roman empire, right? And, and so it's kind of a rival to Rome, at least for a while. They're probably from this part of the world, all right? They were astrologers. They were very wealthy. In Matthew, they're depicted as foreign dignitaries. See, not only are they very smart, not only are they very rich, they have power. How do we know they have power? Herod took the time to talk to them, and that's the only thing he respects. King Herod the Great, the only thing he respected was power. And he took the time to meet with these guys. They have influence. They're important. These magi were pagan astrologers whose skill at discerning the will of the gods, as they would put it, from the positions of the stars, was, they were widely respected in Greco-Roman the world. Astrology had become quite popular through the science of the East, and everyone in Israel in the time of Jesus all agreed that the best astrologers lived in the East, even though the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 18 specifically forbade the use of astrology for prognostication of these signs, instead preferring true prophecy. You can read that in Deuteronomy 18. And when this star or planetary convergence, or star-like object <laughs> that it appeared to be, we don't know. It's just the normal Greek word for star in the text. When this appeared over Jerusalem, the Magi believed that it heralded the, the advent of the king of the Jews, uh, uh, the birth of a king. That was a common belief in their day and time. So what was it? Well, astronomers have offered different proposals. The New Testament scholar Ben Witherington III notes that all of the following have been suggested. Uh, a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn was noted in 7 BC, though that was too early to be the birth of Jesus, and they would not at that time have been close enough to appear to be a single star. The same thing's going to happen this coming Saturday. I'll talk more about that in a second. Another theory points to Halley's Comet, which took place in the region about 12 BC, again, a date too early to be correlated with Jesus' birth. Johannes Kepler, the 17th century astronomer and mathematician, had a theory that the Magi witnessed a supernova or possibly the birth of a new star, especially since Chinese astro astronomers did record a nova in the winter of uh, 5 to 4 BC. That'd be about the right time. Here's the thing. I don't think the point of the story is to point to something astronomical. Astronomy is not the point of the story. The specifics of what it was are far less significant than the fact that it was. The point Matthew is making is that we should pay attention to the images that are associated with the star. The ideas that a star represents. See, in the Bible, stars are images that, that represent transcendence and glory and vastness. If an alliteration will help you remember, it's beyondness and brilliance and bigness. That's what stars represent in Scripture, so that's why God uses that sign. It's a pretty appropriate sign, given what is happening. It's also possible that these magi had access to the Torah, you see, 500 years earlier, you had these exiled Jews that had been carried off into Babylon. Same region of the world. They were in the neighborhood. <laughs> they were making copies of the Torah. 
And it's possible that these educated, learned men had read in the law of Moses. And their attention would have been drawn to another man who was very similar to them, a man named Balaam. And in Numbers chapter 24, there's a prophecy of Balaam that's recorded. Look at this, Numbers 24 verse 15. Then he spoke this message, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. Sound a little bit like a magi, doesn't he? Look at what he says. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. When the Magi say, we have seen his star when it rose, they took note because this star rose in their west. Stars don't do that. I don't believe that this was a natural star. This is a supernatural sign because God has a message. Over the next week, you're going to hear a lot about the planetary convergence of Jupiter and Saturn. You're going to hear people call it the Christmas star. You're going to hear people call it the, 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 the Bethlehem star. Don't get me wrong. This is very cool. I am totally going to watch this. All right, this coming Saturday, a little after sunset, look to the west and slightly south. And you're going to see Jupiter and Saturn are going to appear in our night sky and they're going to be so close together they'll look like a single object. This has not happened since the 1200s. You will not live to see it happen again. Probably. I don't know. Take your vitamins, you know, whatever. But um, <laughs> don't get me wrong, this is very cool. I'm going to watch this. But do not be misled, because the point of the star is a reminder. It's not the actual physical thing that they saw. The point of the star is a reminder to the elite to be generous both in their wealth as they provided for Joseph and Mary to make that journey to Egypt and live there for three, you know, or for a couple years and then come back. And they were generous with their wealth and they were generous with their worship. They made a months-long journey, hundreds of miles, to bow down in front of a little boy and worship. They were generous with their wealth, yes, and they were generous with their worship. The fact that God set a star in the sky to tell the elite about Jesus should be a reminder to all of us to be generous just as the Magi were, not just in your gift-giving, but also in your acknowledgement of Jesus as Savior and your worship of Him as Lord. Can I encourage you this Christmas to be as generous with your worship as you are with your wealth? All of us, from the lowly to the elite, should be reminded to be generous with our worship and our wealth when we see a simple cookie. This is a reminder. It's just a simple cookie. Just seven ingredients. But these two common symbols of the Christmas story, the angel and the star, are the two primary means that God used to announce the birth of his son. And in doing that, 
He sent these signs to people who comprised both the bottom and the top of the social structures of their day. And the point is that in taking on our humanity, God declared it in glory. But, but it is glory that's designed to be experienced by all of us, by everyone. The angel and the star remind us that the Christmas story is for the elites and the Christmas story is for the lowly. And because of that, I think it's for everybody. It doesn't matter whether your net worth rivals Bill Gates or the, the, only, the, the only net worth you got is a net. So when you see an angel or a star cookie, you need to think, Christmas is for me. Christmas is for my neighbor. Like Jesus, these simple Christmas cookies remind us of a profound truth that we kind of have a foot in both worlds. Because God declared Jesus' humility with glory to both the lowly and the elite, we ought to share it with everybody. And I really, I, my, my message today is, is as simple as this cookie. I want you to be encouraged. This year stunk. I stood up here and I was like, welcome to the future back in January. And you're like, the future stinks, preacher. Be encouraged. Jesus is still Lord. God is still going to come again. Be encouraged. And be generous. Share that good news of great joy with the people in your life. Who are you going to share that with this week? Maybe you're going to take them a plate of cookies. You might have to buy them so they feel safe. I don't know. <laughs> it's Here, you know, here's a COVID cookie. Um, you know, use your best judgment that way. I, but will you tell the story of how Jesus came into your life? Have you taken that step? Have you heard the message of the angel and the message of the star in your own life? Because if you haven't, you have an opportunity to respond to that right now this morning. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you need to know that he came here for you. He was born for you. As Paul said earlier, he lived a perfect sinless life for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again for you. Have you given him your life? You have an opportunity to do that now. We're going to stand and sing together. I'll be right down front. Please come down if you're ready to make that decision, to take that step of faith. Maybe you've got, a, you, you're, you've got somebody in mind this week that you want to tell that story to. I, I hope that you'll leave here with a resolution to do that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing together, and you respond as God leads you today.